Welcome to the COSEC Show. Join the COSEC Qatari Securities team as they share their insights on the Australian share market, discussing some of their best performing companies, macroeconomic news from offshore, including local domestic news, foreign exchange, as well as commodities. If you have any questions regarding the share market, our phone lines are open. You can dial in on 1300 854 151 or alternatively, email info at cosec.com.au. Exclusively on this show, each guest will reveal their hottest stock pick. For more information on any of the topics discussed, go to cosec.com.au. The information featured in this program is general in nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Guests appearing on the program may own or have commercial arrangements with some of the companies mentioned. Before making any investment insurance or financial planning decisions, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Good afternoon, investors. My name is Will Brownlee, and welcome to the COSEC Show, where we discuss all things relevant in the market this week. Macroeconomic data, currencies and commodities, top performance for the week that was, and of course, our hottest stock picks for the week to come. Before I go any further, please, as always, allow me to introduce my investment panel and resident experts in the market to my left, the ever-wonderful Miss Caroline Wong. Is there a doctor in the house? Our master of maths, Dr. Adam Chetakowski, and of course, the ever-mystic Mr. Louis Mossman. Ladies and gents, how are we doing today? Let's start by having a discussion about Dr. Adam Chetakowski's tie. Very nice. I'm I like that. It's very, it's very out there. I like that. That's very, very good. Quite unique. Thanks. It's one of my favorites, actually. Yeah, very good. To, very, very good to hear. So, End of a week. It's been a very good week. We've, yes. uh, we've had a good day yesterday. We had another good day today. We ended up point, another 0.2% today. Mm-hmm. So we uh, hit our record highs, what, three times this week? Yep. Yep. And the US hit it last night again. They shrugged off a few sort of inflationary fears. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I've been finding very, very interesting is we are very directionless on the SPY yes. futures. SPY futures are showing us nothing, and yet we are moving in big directions. I think yesterday they showed that we were going to start the day down 0.04%, so flat, and we actually finished the day up 0.6, so over yes. half a percent. So what do you make of that? Why is there so directionless in the SPY? Is it just because people are literally just taking it as it comes, or what do you think, Mr. Mossman? Yeah, well, in uh, my market wrap I gave this morning, actually, I did mention that there was a lot of data released this week across all major economies across the world, and that data really didn't surprise anyone and didn't move markets substantially across anywhere, really. The main one, and this is what the market was waiting for all week, week really, this was the one that was building up, and it's the CPI inflation data. Now, every month, I, I suppose inflation is ramping up, and the narrative anyway is ramping up so we're focusing more and more on this inflationary narrative so the data that was released last night and this is for may uh, was the consumer price index rising 0.6 percent which is actually the second largest monthly advance uh, since 2008 so that's of course at the midst of the gfc and that represents cpi rising five percent over the last year which again is the highest of since for the last 13 years so it's representing that that inflationary narrative is just continually extending but as i mentioned just before it didn't really impact the market it only well, in the positive way if it, anything it, the market went up exactly well, exactly yeah exactly right but it only beat estimates very very slightly so uh, the market had quite already priced this in uh, and this expla- inflation so what narrative. was it, what was it meant to be at it was meant that there were analysts were expecting 4.7 yeah so very only slightly beat that and i suppose the inflation narrative every month we we're expecting it to come so it's being priced in 
And again, I don't expect that to change for the next month of inflation figures coming out. So what it really represents is, I suppose, prices are rising throughout the economy. But one other thing, that prices are being spread out more across the economy. So we've got inflation in our core commodities. We know that prices are through the roof, but now it's leaking into what those commodities actually produce. So the areas that saw the most inflationary pressures were used vehicles, household furnishing, airfares, and apparel. Okay. That was where the most of the um, Infl inflation okay. was seen. And a Wells Fargo note uh, overnight said that we are seeing inflationary pressures broadening out, which we will believe will keep monthly price gains from merely falling back to their pre-pandemic trends. So they do see this trend of increasing month-on-month -month inflation continuing, and I would share that uh, prediction as uh, well. Is anyone concerned about it, or are they do think it's in a, an acceptable range? Wow, you actually played in perfectly to a quote I actually have as well. <laughs> Janet Yellen is known to be very outspoken on, outspoken on monetary policy because she was a former Fed chair, but now she's in the Treasury. But she seems to be commenting on inflation yeah, all the time. Yeah, she seems to be driving it, doesn't she? Exactly. So I think it was over the weekend uh, on Sunday last week, and this was the news for Monday morning I gave. Um, she said that if we end up with slightly higher interest rate environment, it would actually be a plus for society's point of view and the Fed's point of view as well. That's off the back of a higher inflation rate. We've been inflating inflation that's too low and interest rates that are too low for too long now. We want to go back to a normal interest rate and a normal inflation environment. What do you it's think? Definitely what's being achieved. So at the end of the day, uh, inflation is not always a bad thing. So neither are higher interest rates. Yeah. Neither are higher interest rates. It's exactly showing the right. sign of a, of a of a good economy. We, we would of say. a healthy economy that needs to be reined back yeah, rather exactly. than supported. Yeah, exactly. With, you know, exactly right. Accommodative Absolutely. policy. I've always been quite confused by that. I've always thought whenever I see back in 2017, we saw the Fed change rates. I think it was a tiny bit of a hike or something, and I was always confused. I'm like, isn't that a good thing? Doesn't that mean that? The economy's doing well, and you know, so it's always going to be it's always inter interesting. So catch one twenty two. Let's uh, leave the US now and let's travel, jump in a jumbo jet, and go all the way over to Europe. So, Doctor Adam, have a quick chat to us about because recently the ECB has met. What's your take on that? How did we all go with that? Unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one day before. So they also had quite a few announcements there. So overall, like if you look at uh, first, like looking back at some statistics in the past month. So if you look at the uh, annual inflation, we have February 0 0.9 and March 0 uh, 1.3, uh, April um, 1.6, and then now May was uh, 2.0. Yes. So annual inflation is like st steadily growing and growing. And uh, <clears throat> so they also actually expect that there will, uh, might be some inflation uh, further down this year, but on the overall estimate for this uh, for 2021 is 1.9. So that's actually below their they, they go the two percent that they want. So at such they uh, decided, well, we will not really be doing anything. So they have just really been steadily and, and cautious. So and no plans of uh, tapering at the moment. So they have this 1.85 billion of uh, emergency fund uh, and they have still 700 mi million they can spend uh, until March uh, 2023. So they and uh, so they were saying we are not no change in plans. They still have it and there is also some flexibility in when exactly they can use that. So uh, but as at this point there are no of, uh, no changes uh, to reduce those, any of those amounts. Yep. Uh, and at the same time, they're saying, okay, so things are going really well. They're actually happy with the 2%, similar to, like, yeah. as you were saying, in the US. So uh, no changes to interest rates. Uh, so overall, they, they see things uh, positing. Uh, so there are also some estimates like for uh, uh, growth domestic product. So two point, uh, sorry, 
4.6 this year and 4.7 uh, next year. So, so for the whole Eurozone? Yeah. Four point, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's right. all for a uh, whole Eurozone. Yeah, and just upgrade, going back, right? just yeah, an upgrade as well. Upgrade. Yeah, all are upgrades. So uh, uh, both for the uh, both the interest rates, so uh, mm. 1.9 for this year uh, and 1.5 for next year, for uh, inflation. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was also upgrades. Uh, yeah. So a lot of upgrades actually. Going back to that rate decision uh, as, a, as the inflation and monetary policy. Monetary policy does, of course, have a lagged effect. So yes, of course, we yeah. do see the effect of lowering interest rates and quantitative easings over the weeks and months preceding a decision. Now, if they're already predicting a 1.9% inflation rate and America, US, Australia, and a lot of, sorry, America, Australia, and the Eurozone as well, are all seeing their inflation already tick up, that means that to keep it within their target ranges and bands, that they're going to have to start acting. And if we keep going at the rate we are now, that might be before where they're all the magic year 2024 when they make that decision. Yes. So yeah. just say if we reach our target band before then, obviously they're going to have to do something about it. And the quicker we get, especially in Australia, to that 2 to 3%, then the RBA is going to have to do something about it. And the ECB, if they think they're going to be at their golden ratio which they don't have a band, I believe. It's just 2% flat. Yes. They're going to have to act by the end of the year. If it's going to be 1.9%, they're going to have to act. But yeah. of course, they're pushing out that decision further, but the market it might not be seeing that disconnect right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very interesting because as I was mentioning, the last couple of months, how we see the annual rate increasing uh, over just a couple of months from 0.9 to, to 2%. So, I mean, they, they are really like pushing the decision into the future a little yeah. bit because they're... They, there is something that seemed to be happening, but we still really don't know. But it's having its desired effect, mm. right? We're, oh, yeah. we're getting what we want out of monetary policy, but there's been so much attention and focus given to interest rates being risen and markets are so concerned and scared about that, that of course, central banks are obviously feeling pressured not to do so. They're pushing out that decision as far as possible. When it comes around to it, that'll obviously shake the markets. And as I mentioned last week on the podcast, the RBA's July meeting, all eyes will be uh, turned to that because they're going to have to make an update on their QE program. I think that's going to be the biggest news in the next month or so. Wow, a lot of analysis there, a lot to unpack. Let's jump over to Caroline Wong. She's yes. going to take us a little bit closer to home because mm -hmm. recently we've had some announcements from the RBA. Talk us through what those announcements have been and what they're sort of uh, you know indicating for so those us. Those announcements are non-inflation related, so giving you a little oh, bit of breathing. Brilliant, <laughs> finally, because I, I have to tell you, I've got two very intelligent people sitting in front of me and they're just going back and forth. They're sparring back and forth about economy. Oh, wait, only two, not yeah. not. not yeah, but you and I, we're, we're on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. So we have business confidence results being released today. If you look at the chart very quickly, fell three points to 20 index points and that you could attribute it to the snap lockdown in Victoria. So a key measure in business confidence results is capital expenditure or in short CAPEX. So this rose to a new record high of 24 index points. A lot of it was done by the construction sector. And as a point of reference back in April 2020, this measure was down to negative 35 index points. Up to now, it's positive 20, so it come a very, very long way. And this is good because it shows that businesses are eager to spend on investments and this in turn improves productivity. In terms of consumer confidence, if you look at the chart, um, did not do too well. The drop in consumer confidence was more significant. It fell 5%. Um, so it's from 113.1 points to 107.2 points uh, in June. So that was just about two days ago. This you say that was driven by the Victorian lockdown? Yeah, similarly. Sure. Yeah. But it's just that consumer confidence reacted more aggressively as yep. opposed to um, business confidence. And yes. this puts us back to the level at where we were in January 2021. 
So um, a lot of this was, as you said, was to do with the Melbourne lockdowns. Mm-hmm. KPMG actually did a study that said that this two-week lockdown actually cost GDP about 1.8%. Wow. And that's, uh, sorry, 1.8 trillion or 1.5% of GDP. Wow, So yeah. imagine just two weeks of lockdown, that's 1.5% of GDP. Yeah, well, I was talking to a client on the phone today just about the Victorian lockdown, a bit mm. of an aside. Mm. They, they do they do seem very concerned and frustrated by it. And I'd be frustrated too. And yeah. it's something that's really not only, you know, driving this data, but it's course psychologically, it's impacting the whole state of Victoria. And business and consumer confidence is a driver of our economy. And if that's falling, it's obviously not a good thing. I'm so. going to go back to an, I've got a point that I've been sort of thinking about here and mulling over. I hate to take it away from from the from the intelligent conversation here, but my mind is just not quite adding up to a certain thing. So you are, well, over in England, we're, we're close to record highs. The rest of the Asia Pacific region, close to record highs. US definitely on record highs. We're on record highs. We've got all of this inflation that's good, but not good. We're in this Goldilocks. We're considering seeing a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of raising interest rates, but not too much. Everything seems to be going really, really well. Donald Trump's out of office. Everything's going absolutely fantastic. Yet I saw a statistic today that says that we have already eclipsed the amount of COVID deaths this year compared to last year. That means last year we had X amount. We've already beaten that amount now, and we're only halfway through the year. Yep. So it's it's not like COVID's gone. If yeah, anything, no. COVID is worse than what it was last year. Am I the only person that thinks that's a bit strange? Well, I, I think the main thing you've always got to think about is markets and even people themselves are forward looking. So the outlook back it's, last yeah, okay. year was far bleaker than it is right now. So though it might be higher, more people are dying, there's more cases, the outlook for the future is probably more positive because everyone's getting uh, the jab and the vaccine rollout. That was, though it's not impressing everybody, it's still doing quite well. And again, the outlook is a little bit better. So I understand that, but the outlook I think is driving. I mean, there is also the G7 and then later G20, and I'm sure they will be they will be talking about a lot of about vaccination and, and trying to push these things forward yeah. in a big picture. Great analysis, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, you hit it here first. We're going to take a short break. If you have any questions for our panel, please feel free to take a video and email it through to info at cosec.com.au. Everyone who does will receive a copy of our book, Stock Market Success, Retailing in Dimmicks for $39.95, or our magazine, Selling in News Agencies Australia-wide for $19.95. In the meantime, like, subscribe, and hit that bell, and we'll be back shortly with your currency and commodity overview. As kids, we were active. We were creative. We questioned all things. We celebrated everything. We took risks. We had no limits, we had dreams. Our imagination helped us solve problems and create new possibilities. Albert Einstein once said, imagination is everything. It is the preview of life's coming attractions. We are in an ever-changing world filled with fear and uncertainty. Don't let that change the inner child within. As Walt Disney said, imagination no age and dreams are forever. Hersek is here to help build your dreams and create possibilities. Secure your success with Kosek Kadari Securities. Throughout time, humans have relied upon innovation to advance and evolve using new and improved methods. 
having meaningful impact on society and industries. In order to advance, ideas were transformed into new products and services. The stock market has also evolved through innovation. Innovation has been key to COSEC's success. Using artificial intelligence and machine learning, COSEC has streamlined processes to bring better opportunities to clients. Opportunities that might have otherwise been missed. Join a company that innovates to bring clients the best opportunities and service. Invest with a solid strategy. Invest with confidence. Invest with COSEC. Kadari Securities. returns in the stock market on a consistent basis? Obsessed with this idea, Michael Kadari forms COSEC, Kadari Securities. He seeks, in his own words, a revolutionary investment strategy based on better information and knowledge. Wealth begins with better knowledge, becomes his motto. He seeks to identify and accurately pick the next top performing stocks on the ASX. He seeks for consistency. Michael Kadari creates a unique stock market filtering system he names Lotus Blue, named after a flower that blooms just once. Because in investing, timing is everything. See how accurate Cosex stock picks are. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue today. If you want the Cosec Investment Edge, you know what you have to do. Call Cosec now or visit cosec.com.au and take advantage of the insights he reserves for his clients. Do you follow currencies? Want to know how the Aussie dollar is travelling? Do you love commodities? Do you see gold prices rising? Do you see more demand for oil? Do you see the world economy growing? Get the latest in-depth analysis and discussion on commodities every week from real traders. Get real insights only on The Cosec Show. Let's 
Talk, currencies and commodities, all things that shine, sparkle, fold, and make the world go around. Dr. Adam Cherokowski, why don't you give us a little bit of an update on what's happening with gold and oil at the moment? Thanks for asking. Yeah, so I wanted really to show uh, uh, the graph of how gold have been evolving. So I really think that here we can really see how sometimes announcements, they really influence the market. So you see, uh, we had the announcement about the um, inflation that uh, Louis was mentioning. And so uh, if you really carefully look at the graph, so it is showing it was ar uh, around four, uh, four but uh, the announcement was like at eight, uh, so 4.30, but the announcement was at 8.30 a.m. So that's because of the time difference. So depending uh, on the picture comparing to the, uh, the other one. Yeah. So you can really see that it jumped exactly like minutes after the announcement. Is is there is a significant jump uh, there in yeah, the gold? So you uh, so just 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 to remind uh, everyone about the logic. So of course, if if the in inflation goes up, then uh, there are concerns that the money will lose value. Generally speaking, so then that's why you're moving. That's into the gold. basic premise of yeah, what it is. The exactly. basic premise for those who don't know why, because we always say gold's a bit of a an inflation hedge. Now the reason it's an inflation hedge is because you can't print more of it. You can only mine more of it. Okay, and it's got a it's got a value. Is that would that be right, Mr. Mossman? Yeah, and I think over time you've had the rise, and this is I think why it's ingrained so deeply into human psychology that over thousands of years we've had countless forms of money and way to transmit goods and services, but one that's been there the whole time, one that still maintains value, and one we still talk about today on podcasts is gold. Yeah. So just uh, just uh, overview for the week. So. Uh, Gold was up one week, uh, so Western Texas was one percent, and the Brent was up zero point six percent. So there is a still a positive movement in gold overall. And what is driving it? Well, it's really like what we have been talking about again and again from week to week. What's happening in US, Louis? Demand recovery. Yeah, I think you said oil, oil not gold. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, West Texas gold. Whatever. Uh, so I, 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 <laughs> hey, this is brilliant. This is brilliant. Uh, yeah. So uh, sorry. So moving on to uh, oil. Yes. So um, now I wanted to talk a little bit about some numbers. So here, the uh, yeah, so sorry. So yeah, so uh, the oil is up 1% uh, for Western Texas and Brent 0.6% over the week. So a little bit of a mixed uh, bag for the week here. So not a really big change. So uh, when we really see, uh, so at, at the table, what was happening? So the demand for crude oil is, is pretty strong. Uh, so the... When we look at this, uh, the stock, so a million barrels. So we this week we are seeing 474 million in reserve as opposed to higher number last week, so 479. So uh, the demand is absolutely there. And so the reserve fell by approximately 5 million barrels per day. So, but on the other side, when we see at the motor gasoline and, and so, and fuel generally, it went the other way around. Right. So, right, and yeah. that was, I mean, the expectation was actually, well, the summer's coming up, the demand for fuel will be higher, but somehow we are not really seeing that this week. So it is, the tourism, is it coming slower perhaps than we expected? Yeah, of course. Where's, where's, it, where's oil going to go in the, in the short, medium, long term? Where do we, where do we think it's going to go? Well, I don't, I don't think this is where it's going to go, but this is fascinating news coming out of um, the New York Mercantile Exchange. So it's actually call options which is the right to buy at a specified um, time and date at a price as well. The call options on $100 US oil, West Texas Intermediate Oil, is the largest owned contract on the market right now. So, so there's a lot of call options at $100 and demand has been surging for them. And it's the most owned call option right now on the market, meaning that people were happy to buy 
hundred dollars. So hold on, hold on. on not oil. only they're not they're not. This is not a sell order at a hundred dollars. This is to say they will buy it at a hundred dollars. Exactly. If it gets to a hundred dollars, there's a, there's always a lot of I suppose speculation in futures and forwards contracts. Yeah, yeah. But this does definitely display a confidence in the fact that there is room to run in oil and confidence that it can move higher. I also saw heard a crazy forecast yeah. that this guy brought the other day saying two hundred dollar oil, which I think is a little bit. Uh, crazy. And where did you find that? Was it Nigeria? Yeah, but you have to look at the bigger picture. <laughs> I mean, actually, I think they are somehow sending a signal like, oh, yeah, it will go up to 200. The, the thing is they actually need that if you look at their economy. Yeah. They really need those numbers to really get their so own economy. They're like, oh, yeah. I hope it gets up to $200. Yeah, yeah, they're exactly. trying to do the whole Elon Musk. They're trying to, they're trying to tweet. Oh, you know, they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to tweet and say that oil's going to the moon. Exactly. <laughs> did, did they say by when? By when? Uh, well, not... not not really like an exact estimate when when we will see the 200. Which they hope they do. But I think the, the general consensus on oil is quite positive right now. We, of course, have broken that $70 mark on yeah. both Brent uh, mm -hmm. and WTI. And Hello, day on day, day, in a while. And day on day, yeah, we're seeing a nice green candlestick and it pushed slowly higher. So I think the demand and supply outlook is also very positive. One other thing as well, in India, of course, that's going to be the biggest uh, hurt on demand mm -hmm. right now. Of course, their economy mm -hmm. is suffering from COVID-19. So what we are seeing is the owners of all the oil refineries in India slowing their production but pushing all their reserve capital into uh, servicing and expanding uh, those refineries. So they're not pulling money out. These refineries aren't going out to business. They're investing heavier into these businesses now than previously, which is a clear indication that they do see an even more robust demand recovery. So they want to be ready to take advantage of that, which again is another positive for oil. So I do remain positive on the commodity, uh, whether it's 100 or 200, I'm not too sure over what time frame. but over the coming months, yes, I do see a higher price for oil. Very good. And I do have to say, that's a very nice suit you're wearing. Would you call that a, a charcoal colored suit? I'm colorblind, so don't ask me. We'll call it a charcoal colored oh. suit. On the, ch on speaking of charcoal, Oh, Caroline, yeah. why don't you talk to us about coal? How are we doing that with coal? You like that? <laughs> I didn't catch it. Talk to us about the chart of coal. Coal, coal mm -hmm. is looking very not coal. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you look at the chart, you can see that coal prices around the world has been roaring throughout the world. Um, if you look at the black and the orange line, so that's the prices of coal um, in Australia and Indonesia that has risen by well, almost 50% this year. And it's also back to the same supply-demand dynamic. So on the demand side of things, strong industrial activity will boost consumption for coal. Also in Europe, they just experienced a very harsh winter. So that um, boosted consumption by about 10 to 15%. On the supply side of things, there remains a lot of constraints. So there are heavy rains in Indonesia as well as ongoing strikes in Colombia. Very good. And uh, how's iron ore going? Because yeah. I just have to ask you. I'm not even going to make the joke this it's time. Still, still going very good at five yeah. percent this week. Um, wow, two hundred and sixteen dollars. That's really consistently just above that. Just yeah, it's really it kind of threatened to dip below the two hundred dollar mark there last week, but it's really held up quite strongly. Yeah, very stubborn. I, yeah, I very thought stubborn. there was. I thought there was no way that this is gonna. I was yeah. keeping an eye on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we've seen, we've but, seen uh, that across. Nickel. I thought there's no way that it's gonna uh, it's gonna stay up there. I thought we, we, this is definitely gonna come down. But exactly. could it be conceivable that two hundred dollars could be a base level, and yeah. there could be an area of support? We could see further. I definitely, I definitely call it an area of support. I wouldn't say that we're gonna consistently see over two hundred mm. for an extended period of time. But for the short term, I do expect us to remain here until there's a macroeconomic change. Uh, as but Macquarie this morning upgraded the price of iron ore. So by 20%, it expects iron ore to trade about $158 a ton for the rest of the year. Yeah, and I would expect a, a slew of more forecasts because a lot of forecasts issued by 
governments and central banks are well below two hundred dollars average mm. throughout this year, and we're if it's in almost most of the year above two hundred or near two hundred, mm. so those averages are going to have to get pushed up. I learned something new today. I heard I'll share. So uh, you know, China's push for decarbonization. Yes. So that means that um, people want more demand for higher grade iron ore, and higher grade iron ore. There are two benefits of it. So first, it improves productivity, mm-hmm. and then second, being it cons- it's le- it has less impurities. So when there are less impurities, it means that it consumes less coke and limestone, and so it therefore emits less carbon. Right, very interesting. Well, there you go. I'd like to add to that as well, mm. because this week we saw on that whole decarbonization thing, yeah. and of course, China's looking to create a more sustainable, renewable economy. They've actually uh, canned Bitcoin mining in a province of China, and it's one of the first of many, right? So, sorry, only first of a few with the possibility for many to come. So they've banned Bitcoin mining. Obviously, it's very, very computationally uh, intensive. I mean, you need a lot, a lot of electrical power to do Bitcoin mining itself, and they've completely banned it. Now, China's the biggest Bitcoin miner in the world as well. So if we do see, um, I suppose, uh, less mining in China, that could be good for the rest of the world and the Bitcoin supply obviously would draw back in the short and near term. But one other thing to mention for Bitcoin this week, and I think this is the most uh, significant news, is El Salvador, a tiny small country, the first country in the world to officially legalize Bitcoin as uh, official, I'm sorry, legal tender in their economy. So they have said that we can transact that, uh, institutions can borrow and lend in Bitcoin and it's perfectly legal to do so. But the IMF actually came out yesterday, last night and said, there, there are significant risks. There are significant sounds risks. Like an old, old gra- sound like an old granddad or I don't know about that. Exactly mate. right. And I, I, the first thing that caught my mind is, okay, they haven't done their research. They haven't, they, they're not going to, um, they're not going to say oh, we agree with it because they don't really know what's going on and they don't have the confidence in it as of yet. So they haven't recommended it. They haven't condoned it. All they've said is there are risks and we'll continue to support El Salvador moving forward. Very, very good. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about cryptocurrency, is this something that you've been thinking about for a while? Do you think it's maybe time to buy or invest into cryptocurrency? Please always, as always, feel free to email us and let us know. It is something that we will put on a presentation in regards to Mr. Mossman and myself. We'll sit there and we will take you through the finer details of how it gets about all the other altcoins, etc., etc. Let us know. Our phone lines are now open, but you can also send us an email just asking for that webinar or some more information. But for now, back by popular demand, we're going to go to the next section of the show. This is Streetwalk Street Talk. Welcome to Streetwalk Street Talks. I'm in our beautiful city of Sydney. Ask some people about the market. Um, El Salvador, they've actually started accepting Bitcoin as a form of legal tender. Do you think that that might be the future of currencies? No, <laughs> I don't think so. No? no Why is no. that? Why do you think they've done it? Why? Because of their lifestyle. Okay. So if they can try and get people to bring in Bitcoin into their economy, they'll in their minds they think they're they're winning okay if that makes sense so because but, it might just spike up yes yeah. potentially okay. potentially like all all uh, coins these days there's uh, if, if it's a good project behind the coin mm. there's that chance of obviously potential gains right right okay um, well look if you had a million dollars would you look into any specific sector or business today to put that million dollars into? A sector that 
would, I suppose, help individuals that don't have a voice. Right. Okay. Um, anything specific? Uh, charities or... Um, yeah, potentially uh, charities for the homeless, charities for um, refugees, kids out there that have lost their families. Right. Okay, great. Um, now, a little bit of a funny question, um, but... Uh, Jeff Bezos, he's going into space. If you had the chance, would you join him or would you just watch from the, the launch pad? I let him have the first shot. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you don't know where they'll end up. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's a funny one. It's yeah. a funny one. Everyone will have different views on it, but um, let's see how that plans out. Yeah, I feel like I've seen Elon Musk test his rockets and seen them blow up, but I haven't seen anything from Bezos. No, he's keeping his cards close to his yeah, chest. Maybe. So, uh, yeah. Jeff Bezos? Yep. He's going to space in his own rocket ships. Yep. Do you trust it? Would you go with him? No. El Salvador has just recently started accepting Bitcoin as legal tender. Do you think that this might be the start of something uh, worldwide or perhaps a, uh, a change in, in how we perceive Bitcoin and cryptos? Well, you know, I... I'm not an expert in cryptocurrency and I wouldn't invest in any in my myself, to right. be perfectly frank. But uh, a number of the central banks are looking at it. So one assumes that at some point in time, governments are going to take a position on it. And I think then people would come to accept it much more readily if it's backed by a central bank rather than uh, by the sort of the systems that exist at the moment. But I think it's going to have to overcome the issue about uh, environmental management Mm, okay. Because it's such a big user of uh, of energy. Yes. That at the end of the day, if they don't fix that problem, or make it a more renewable energy user, yeah. Then I think people, particularly younger people, uh, will find it quite difficult to put their their funds in that direction. But yes, it's an interesting move. But uh, I don't think that's going to be the world leader that's going to change everybody else's attitude, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you said that you yourself wouldn't do it. Is that just because of the fluctuations? Are you more of a long-term investor? What is, what is your sentiments? Well, I, you know, I, I invest, but I don't invest in, in a currency situation like that um, because, yeah, it fluctuates. There doesn't appear to be any basis on which it moves. Uh, I have no idea of how the supply and demand works with cryptocurrency. Right. It just seems to be very, very unusual. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm sure there are people out there that have made a fortune in it. Yeah. Uh, so, but somebody like um, Musk can change the sentiment on it overnight by investing two billion and then taking, you know, then sort of saying it's rubbish. You yeah. know, uh, yeah. how how do you invest in a situation like that? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand. Um, now. Uh, I'm guessing that you're more into equities, into bonds, uh, property perhaps? Um, bonds are not such a good thing at the moment. Yes. They don't give you much return. Yes. So I think most people are now moving into what I'd call sort of uh, more growth style investments. Yeah. Um, equities, um, property, um, places where you can get a return, a uh, bit more risk. But uh, you can't uh, exist on banking deposits. Uh, when term deposits give you, you know, a quarter of a percent or a half a percent, you know, and that's, you, you can't live on that. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Now, if you had a million dollars, is there a specific sector or business that you would, uh, you would be looking 
more eagerly to? Not specific, because I think you've got to diversify. I don't think, uh, you know, a market doesn't exist on the basis of just putting it into one thing, unless you've got inside trading. Yeah. Uh, you've got to diversify your investments, spread them, balance your risk, and uh, you may not get the most incredible return, uh, but you get a solid return. Yeah. That's the important thing. Yeah, great. Um, now, a little bit of a funny question. Jeff Bezos, he's recently yes. said that he's going to go into space. Yes, he's going to go into space along would, with his brother. Would you join him or, or do you not trust his, uh, his efforts? No, no, no. I think, look, uh, these days people are not going to do this without it being incredibly safe. And, uh, you know, I, I think, look, they've shown that they can do this. And uh, it's what I think, what, 10 minutes? Is all they've yeah. got up there. Yeah, yeah. So it might be a bit of a bumpy ride coming down when they <laughs> land in the desert, but yeah. uh, beyond that, you know, uh, I think it's certainly most probably safer than going in a Boeing 737 Max or whatever it's called. Okay, so, so you, you think it's safer? <laughs> well, certainly those ones aren't safe at the moment. I don't think anybody wants to travel on them, even if they are uh, going to find a way on. Okay, all right. All okay, right. Thank great. You. Thank you so much for your okay. time. Take Cheers. Welcome back. And there you have it. Diversify. Don't go into bonds. Get into more growth stocks or growth sort of sector. Very good. Great. What we have to actually kind of point out that that was a very hard job done by the producers today because it is freezing here in Sydney. It looks absolutely beautiful, but I'm surprised they could even speak out there after after all that. I think uh, absolute big round of applause to those guys. Great work. But let's unpack what the main theme really happened there. We talk a lot about El Salvador, a lot about Bitcoin, a lot about that. Obviously, the normal narratives kind of pop up. Yeah, yeah it's too, uh, you know, obviously it's too energy intensive. They've got to find out the regulatory risks and stuff like that. But what did you really take from what they were saying, Mr. Moss? One, one of the first things I did take from it is how subject to people like Elon Musk and yes. really short-term news fluctuations. But I think people have to understand your intentions in cryptocurrency have to be very set in stone. Mm. Are you trading this? Are you investing in it? What do, what do you want to gain out of cryptocurrency? Do you believe in the long-term prospects of Bitcoin in cryptocurrency? Because at the end of the day, trading Bitcoin, I agree, it's very difficult and it's very volatile and you have to spend a lot of time and attention to it and it is subject to fluctuations like that. But if you look at a chart and you think about it on a longer-term basis, then you shouldn't be worried about Elon Musk. You shouldn't be worried about tweets. You shouldn't be worried about short-term impacts of supply and demand of the currency because at the end of the day, you believe in the future prospects. Now, talking about future prospects, I do have a chart that I'd love to bring up. Now, this chart uh, depicts a, a, a three-year period, right? So the last bear market that we had in Bitcoin was a significant one and remained suppressed very low on its range. And that's that first orange box. Now, throughout that first orange box, what happened was something called backwardation. Now, backwardation is when the uh, when the yield curve, also the, when the curve for Bitcoin inverts, meaning that the price for the futures on Bitcoin are below that of the spot price for Bitcoin, reflecting a negative outlook for the future on the currency. So, throughout that whole box, we had a, a uh, we had backwardation, and now we've just re-entered a backwardation period, and that's the second orange box over there. So that does paint a negative outlook for Bitcoin, even though it is consolidating just below its moving averages between 30 and 40K. And we've oscillated between that range for the last, say, two weeks. We're definitely waiting for an Elon Musk or a catalyst. But in the long term, that backwardation does point to significant softness. Uh, but again, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, 
Elon could come out and completely turn that around. But for the time being, I'd say Bitcoin is under a little bit of soft, softness. Uh, but long term, I'm still definitely bull on the currency. Great questions. And thank you everyone who tuned into the show. But one of the big things or answered any of our questions on the street. But big one that I really want to know, because that's Bitcoin. I get that. That's fantastic. And that's all about investing in bond portfolios. I get that's exciting stuff. But here's the real answer to the question. Would you go to space with Elon Musk or with Jeff Bezos? Both planning on doing it. What do you think, Dr. Adam Cherikovsky? What do you think? Would you go with Musk or or Bezos and why? Well, I would definitely pick Elon Musk and uh, for a number of reasons. Like somehow I I don't know, I I really like the stuff he get himself involved into. Like yeah. I mean, cars, electrical cars, I really think that's such a amazing initiative. I mean, and I really think that he has really been one of the persons that have been changing the world in that direction like in of optimism in electrical cars before it was populated to do so as well you know he yeah, was yeah. innovating that space and he jumped into battery technology and electric vehicles before it was a thing and that's why tesla is the biggest ev company in the okay, world okay so we've got one vote for musk caroline wong <laughs> yes well which one's got the the more receding hairline <laughs> bezos you yeah. reckon bezos so I... you'd like to go bezos okay uh why just because can't touch a married man <laughs> oh, I see. I like that. Okay, I like that. That's a good answer. I like that. That's actually that's actually pretty. So you say, okay, I get that. That's nice. All right, what about yourself? Well, I've been Mr. thinking Mo about this question all week, and I haven't stopped thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> jokes. Be honest. I, I'd probably go Musk as well. I think he's just got a bit more clout about him right now, and he's a bit more topical, interesting, eccentric. I think I'd be you'd have a better yarn with him than you might Bezos. Bezos seems a bit too serious to me. I reckon you could we could have a good uh, chat about Doge on the way up. So. Very good. Well, I'm going to tie it all because I'm going to say Bezos. I'm also going to give a very good reason why it is. He started off in finance. I know he walked on Wall Street, so me and him will be able to have a conversation about that a little bit. But he's also very much like Amazon's a tech company that's departed off as a bit of a supply chain company. Mm. Uh, drop shipping company. They've sort of done a lot of things. I, having done my master's in business, I'm very interested in the operations aspect of things. I'd love to have a quick chat with him. I would also really like to meet and talk to Elon Musk. So if he is listening to this, please just email me. Don't be offended by that. But at the end of the day, you're going to talk to me about stuff that I've got no idea about. I don't know anything about cars or anything about electricity or anything about that. I'm not an engineer by background. So there we go. Thanks very much, guys. So that streetwalk street talks commodities and currencies and the events that have shaped them now are you a bull or a bear let us know our phone lines are now open for the meantime like subscribe and hit that bell we're going to be back shortly with the best and worst performers in the australian market this week the world changed this year So did the stock market. Is it time for a change in your portfolio? Invest with confidence. Invest with a solid strategy. Invest with Kosek, Kodari Securities. RBA has cut interest rates to a record low of 0.1%. Returns in saving accounts are now shockingly low. We have never seen these conditions before. The good news is that the stock market benefits from low interest rates and historically has outperformed property or any other asset class. COSEC uses a unique...
stock market filtering system called Lotus Blue, which helps generate solid profits for clients. During COVID in April 2020, COSEC recommended Kogan, which went up 340%. In June, COSEC recommended Saracen Minerals, which went up 23%. In October, COSEC recommended Nickel Mines, which went up 33%. If you want your money working overtime, you need to know what stocks to buy and when to sell. That's where COSEC can help. With no barriers to entry, it's just simple investing. Build wealth with a concrete investment strategy. Go to cosec.com.au. Get a free seven-day access to Lotus Blue and receive our top eight stock picks today. Welcome back. Let's move on to our next section now and have a look at what the best and worst performers of the week were. As always, any information given is general in nature and doesn't take into account personal circumstances. Let's go over to Caroline, our queen of charts, and uh, have a chat to us about what's sort of been going on this week, what sectors mm. have done well. Okay, if we jump straight into the chart, you can see that it's a very good week. We touched 7,300 points. So that's very good. Top performing sector this week was IT up 5%. So um, Altium, printed circuit board player, was up more than 30% this week. So what happened was this Autodesk, this American software com uh, company, actually offered to acquire the company at $38.50 a share, but it was unfortunately rejected. That was one of the stocks that COSEC was involved mm -hmm. in, and yeah. it was uh, one of the stocks that we sent out on a hot opportunity the email on the 25th of May. Mm -hmm. So a lot of very happy COSEC clients. Right. We'd love to say we knew that was coming, but it was completely, it was out of the blue. Like yeah. it was just one of those freaks of nature things. Went up 40% in one yeah. day, had a big drop the next day or the day after, mm -hmm. and it was basically they made an offer and then they turned the offer down. Yeah. What it does show that, you know, we weren't the only ones that saw Altium valued less yeah. than it should yeah. have been. Mm -hmm. So obviously this company, Autodesk, they're a $68 billion invested yes, yeah. US company. They saw after um, Altium valued at $38.50. Obviously they didn't reach that, but we also identified the fact that that company was severely beaten down and definitely an opportunity. That's why we sent it out. So still kudos to us, I think. Um, very good. I'm glad you said that. Brilliant. Uh, Caroline, continue, please. So the worst performing sector was financials, which actually isn't that bad. It's just down 1.16%. I think a lot of it was done by um, NAB, National Australia Bank. So I think it's um, supposed to be subjected to multi-million fines by um, Austrac okay. for breaching um, anti-money laundering laws as well as counter-terrorism laws. So Whoa. that didn't book too well for NAB this week. Less than an ideal, but generally quite positive a mm. week on the market, certainly selecting stocks you can do better. Ladies and gentlemen, we have had a video question emailed in from one of our viewers and we are gonna to go to that right now. 
With anticipation leading up to the Afterpay money launch, how do you think this will impact competition within the finance sector? Thank you very much for emailing into that. Ah, right, Afterpay Touch. I love questions about Afterpay Touch. Brings me back to 2017, where just about every single day someone was talking about Afterpay Touch. What do we think uh, in terms of the idea that they might be sort of disrupting that whole space, coming on with the Combank? Uh, is it going to be a disruptor or not so much? What do you think, yeah, Mr. Mosman? I've had very strict views on the whole buy now, pay later space for quite some time, and nothing's really changing it, really. Yes, there are innovations, as was mentioned. Afterpay do have a new product they're offering, but I still believe that it's very hard to differentiate their core product offering, which is you know lending money. And again, it's not something that's too hard to copy. And we've got so many buy now, pay later players on our market. And now we've got the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, which everyone has some sort of involvement, whether it's through NetBank or Comsec, something. or they've got a home loan or insurance. I mean, everyone's got something to do with Comsec. So it's a very hard space to get that competitive advantage. The only thing Afterpay has is first mover advantage. First mover. And that's something they're still maintaining. So, look, I still like Afterpay. I still think they're the um, the best in that space and they're going to dominate that space for time to come. As an investment for, when it comes to their share price, I still think they're generally terribly overvalued and I think that's a... Something. But their next biggest one is Zip. And how much is Zip? 10 bucks? Uh, 5 bucks? Yeah, I'm not too sure about that There's market cap. But the market cap is ridiculous mm. uh, for the revenues and the cash flows that they bring in, the actual profits they make, which is negative, <laughs> to say the least. Um but again, I, I do see them to be the strongest player. Yes, you can still trade that stock if it looks right technically, but as a long-term investment, I'm still not a fan of buy now, pay later. So. Very good. And I hope that answered your questions. Keep them coming. Ladies and gentlemen, every week we get an opportunity to sit down with the CEO of a company that is either listed on the exchange or preparing to list. This gives our viewers a very unique insight into the minds of their CEO, the product, the performance, and the future projections. This week was a true light bulb moment as we got to sit down with the CEO of Foz Lighting, which is an Australian company in the lighting space, ironically enough. So we're going to go to that right now. I hope you enjoy. Con is from Foz Capital Limited, and you are the ma uh, managing director and CEO, and you do Foz Lighting as well. Is that correct? Yeah, Foz Lighting is our main business, correct. Is your, is your main business. Why don't we get started? Why don't you give us a bit of an understanding about what it is that your company done? Because you have just listed. If you'd like to, if any of our viewers would like to search it up, you can look on the uh, look under the ASX ticker code FOS. Have a look at that, and you'll be able to uh, see what the stock's done. And you see that we're, we're listed. You listed yesterday, yep. so that's very exciting. Yes, it is. A little bit about what your company does and why it's such an attractive proposition. Yes, thank you. So Foss Lighting uh, manufactures, uh, designs and distributes commercial, uh, lighting to the commercial industrial market in Australia. So we, we fit out large buildings, offices, hospitals, schools, um, football stadiums, um, prisons, uh, railways, all those type of projects um, that are either newly constructed or refurbished. Mm -hmm. We design the lighting and then manufacture uh, bespoke lighting to go into those projects. So uh, we have a large factory in Brisbane that, that manufactures a, a lot of our product. Uh, and we're one of only four or five true, in, truly integrated manufacturers left in Australia that actually still still manufacture lighting. And we're, we're pretty proud uh, about our manufacturing pedigree. I've been manufacturing 
uh, in this industry for 40 years. So we're, we're, we're sort of true believers of, of manufacturing and we're not, we're not ones to be looking just to import every product we possibly can, albeit we do import some product. Excellent. So there's a lot to unpack when it comes to that. First and foremost, I'm sitting here thinking, I can't think of anyone that makes lights <laughs> and you guys clearly do a very, very good job of it. You said there's only about five, uh, five sort of companies in Australia yeah. that do that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, I've been in this industry 40 odd years and uh, I've had various businesses uh, along the way that I've built up, bought and sold and, and FOSS lighting is only two years old. Yes. Um, it's a new, it's a new, it's a new, new um, uh, enterprise. Uh, but you know, our history goes uh, in, in this industry a long time. And over you know, 20 years ago, there would have been 20 or 30 manufacturers making various types of light fittings for the commercial market. That's down to four or five now at the moment, because uh, as the years have rolled by, manufacturers have just dropped off, they're consolidated, they've shut down, and everyone's just at a rush to replace uh, them with imported product, mainly coming from China. When we started FOSS, we had a vision that said, we, we don't want to be just a plain importer. Uh, we, we want to manufacture products. So we, we acquired our first lighting business in, in April of 2019, a company called Friend Lighting. It's a 30 year old company that manufactures product in Brisbane. So we've, we bought that uh, as our base manufacturing facility. And then we've built the, the business up around that factory over the last two years. Um, we now have offices in all states of Australia and New Zealand. We bought another business called JSB Lighting um, in November of last year that also had a small, smaller manufacturing facility in Brisbane. We've now combined the two into one under the one roof. Um, and we manufacture uh, over 50% of the products that we sell are made, are made our own products that are made in our factory. So we, we push hard to, to, to make locally. Yes. Um, we don't really try and compete with the large volume, low, low cost imports. We, we, we really can't compete with those. So we go after projects where there's a lot of specialized lighting. And then we do, we, we manufacture bespoke lighting for, for on a project by project basis, as opposed to manufacturing volume products that we stock on our shelves and just push them out. Um, we basically don't finish, hold any finished goods. We, we, we hold componentry and then we make them to order based on the, on, on the project by project basis. Excellent. And uh, that's actually, the, the manufacturing side has been quite beneficial over the last 12 months through COVID because as the borders shut and supply chains got interrupted, we were one of only a few lighting companies that were able to keep, you know, keep product moving without too much disruption. So that's been a quite beneficial to us. Um, and I think as a general view, the, the market, as adopt is going back a little bit towards you know Australian made product than they used to. Absolutely. So the true uh, the true blue Australian sort of uh, sort of you know manufacturer of lights would that be a sort of a summing it up yep. one one sort of uh, phrase. Absolutely. So Absolutely. for investors that like keeping things here and like the whole kind of I suppose the idea of you know the, the patriotism behind keeping your your investments here and and funding local. That's something yeah. you guys are really, really strongly pushing. Is that right? Absolutely. If, if so, investors, you know, want to back an Australian-made company, then we we tick that box very clearly. Mm -hmm. But mind you, we 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 tick it on the basis that we we also need to make money, and we know how to make money out of this industry. So um, we're not making we're not manufacturing just for the sake of it. We're manufacturing to grow the business and to be to grow it in a in a profitable uh, in a profitable manner. So. 
any investor coming on along on board is you know everyone's coming on to you know obviously make some money out of their investment so we hopefully fit that bill but it also helps support the the local the local manufacturing trade did you come from an engineering background or a design background or now, so I left school at a fairly young age uh, and became uh, an electrician. Okay. Um, and then through that electrical uh, apprenticeship that I was doing back a long time ago now, uh, I ended up working for a lighting company and uh, I was about 20 years old at the time. And once I moved into the lighting side, I sort of um, haven't, haven't really left it. Um, Although I've done various things over the last 40 years, lighting's always been, you know, fairly close to me. Yes. And back, back then, it was also in manufacturing. So that I, I've been involved in production and manufacturing all the way through that my sort of 40-year working life. Fantastic. So you come from an electrical background. Okay. I come from a finance background. So forgive me for one yep. second. I'm going to talk finance because we talk yep. a lot on the show. And in fact, I talk a lot with uh, you know economists, et cetera, and they talk about what's called an infrastructure-led recovery coming out of COVID-19. Yep. Now, infrastructure-led recovery the viewers who might not be aware is obviously where you're instead of giving retail, instead of giving out cash, what you do is you actually build buildings, you build railways, you build factories, etc., And that's how yeah. you prop up the, the, uh, the economy. Now, yeah. one of the most famous infrastructure led recoveries is of course, China's one at the moment, but there is a certain aspect that we are doing the same thing in Australia. And that's what all these, you know, big sprouting up big factories are going on that, that sort of space there. So, your business, FOS, so FOS, falls in yep. very nicely into that category. If you're an infrastructure Direct, leader, builds directly into that category, yep. Yeah, exactly right. So absolutely brilliant because that's something that a lot of investors are looking for. And then when you tie that together and say that you guys are actually, a lot of what you do is made and, and presented here, what made and imported, made here, and then mm. obviously used. That's something that's quite special, quite unique. Would you agree? Correct. Yeah. So we, because we work in the commercial industrial side of the of the lighting industry, as opposed to the uh, domestic retail, so we don't do any any lighting for for homes and houses. We, okay. we we're not in that part. We're not in that part of the uh, part of the um, market. So we only we only target commercial industrial projects, and the the government infrastructure spend all falls into that commercial industrial side. So. You know, they're building underground railways here right, in, so in Victoria at the moment. You know, that, that's a you know, that's probably the biggest project going around. Um, so the, the metro tunnel. So, you know, we we are actively working uh, on that project uh, and and many others. Um, you know, that the hospitals and um, I mentioned hospitals and schools and um, prisons. So yep. that's all fueled by government spending. Um, and you know the way you know, as you've mentioned, the way that they're trying to stimulate the economy, uh, economy sort of um, through this COVID period, is to just keep spending as much money as they can uh, on these type of projects to, to stimulate you know activity, uh, so the money gets keeps flying around. So we are a you know direct beneficiary of that. One of the things I have noticed is they're actually going to, I don't know if you're aware of Sydney, but in Sydney we have a tiny island that's in our bay called Cockatoo Island, and it used to be a convict island. And I know, right. they, uh, I know that, and it's obviously World Heritage site right now, and they're renovating it uh, massively. Is that the kind of thing that you guys would do with the big sort of renovations of that? 
That, that, yeah, that would fall into the category of what we would do. I um, mean, we do a lot of uh, museum work and, and art galleries. That's and very sort of specialist. Things. That's very specialist lighting, isn't it? Correct. That, yeah, exactly. So in effect, we only go after projects that have a degree of difficulty to them. Um, if it's a stock standard, you know, vanilla type project, we that doesn't fit our bill, right? That sort of fits more of the commodity volume, low margin product, uh, which we don't really compete in. So we, we look... We look for the difficult projects, the difficult engineering projects, and we employ about 50 people. Uh, about half of them are involved on the manufacturing side and the other half are, are involved in engineering and uh, sales. Uh, so we, we will work hand in hand with a client, uh, whether it be a builder, an architect, an engineer, an end user, and work out whatever their lighting problem is. And then we, we build a product and design a product around, around that. So I'm gonna uh, forgive me if I'm uh, if I've if I've been an idiot here, but one of the questions. Let's just say, for instance, uh, here in Sydney, because I'm only gonna reference Sydney because uh, right. our viewers are in Sydney as well. We've got an art gallery. Okay, now I know yeah. I've been to the art gallery many times. I know it is very peculiar about the way in which it's lighted because different arts. Uh, I know that they do the statues with different lights, etc. So the architect of that would come to you guys and say, "I need this specific lighting." Can Fox? Yeah kind of create yeah. that for me is that am i on the right page with that yep 100 so we we have so we have a product we have product ranges that suit certain applications so we have a product range that specifically is designed around art galleries oh wow okay because, so so those products uh, are very unique to art galleries because they're they're high output lights they've got to be directional because they they want to only light the piece of artwork that is on the, on the wall, let's say, okay? As opposed to splashing light in a general in a room yes. and an art gallery, they want, they want to specifically light around the, the, um, the artwork that's, that's say on the wall. Uh, so the, the light fitting has to be focused, whether it's round or square around that type of product. So very unique lighting. It only really gets used in, in art galleries. It doesn't really get used outside of that sort of market. So highly specialized. There'd only be three or four people that produce products like that. Um, so when it comes to that type of thing, they would come to someone like us who has a range. Yes. And then we work with them to, to work out whether we can use our standard product for that application or whether that product has to be modified in some way to do something uh you know special that they want us to do type thing so that's the that's typically the type of job that we would we would work on on a day-by-day -day basis perfect so from an investor's perspective and we, we always talk about investors because a lot of investors watching the show obviously right now yep. they're googling fos that's uh fos lighting the asx code is fos it's just listed a couple of days ago uh this this will actually be airing in a, in a couple of in, a, in about a week from now or maybe this friday so it will be a little bit That's no problem whatsoever for people thinking right where's the where's the future growth for this company where are you going to go to from here where's your expansion are you going offshore are you going to be located just here domicile in australia where are we moving to from here so although although you know myself and my business partner and a lot of our staff have been in this industry for 20 to 40 years, some of us. Uh, Foss is new, only two years old. So we've done the two acquisitions to build up a, a, a company that's got a national footprint, um, a, a big factory in Brisbane and about 50, 50 staff. Yes. 
but we've done we've done that in 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 the two and and we've got the listing away you know, as as you said on uh, yesterday. So uh, on. I know you're going to hear this later, so it's Monday the 7th, we got the listing away. So the whole purpose of the listing and how we've detailed it in the prospectus, if anyone wants to read of that, is that um, uh, we know this industry really well and we think we can grow this business to a fairly large business, predominantly through acquisitions. So we want to go and acquire other similar type of lighting uh, businesses that work in a similar way that we do. Um, and there's a few of them around Australia that uh, have they're all established they're all been here for 10 to 20 to 30 years um and we 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 want to acquire some of those businesses to build a much larger scale uh, and get some economies of scale out of out of putting these businesses together and and getting you know as much of their product through our factory as we as we possibly can so it's it's really a growth by acquisition and aggregation type story um, it's a very fragmented um, industry because the because lighting is so specialised. Um, not any one company can do all the different types of lighting. So there tends to be a lot of smaller boutique type lighting operations that specialise in a certain range of products. So we're looking for product, you know, for companies that have something unique about them that we think can complement our existing product range. Um, so we want to build. Uh, you know, a, a much larger company. We're aiming from a revenue point of view, our next sort of target revenue is somewhere around $50 million. We're about 15 million at the moment. We, we want to target, you know, the next stage to about 50 and then on to about 100 uh, and become a real uh, in the Australian industry. And I think for the next couple of years, um, we'll concentrate on, on Australia. Um, we'll, we'll concentrate our resources here uh, and, and, and we really have a small market share at the moment, so we think we can grow the market share quite dramatically over that period of time. Also, you know, travel restrictions don't make it really, you know, inducive to try and look for, you know, even yeah. export opportunities. So whilst we're in this sort of COVID period, we might as well, you know, make the most of it in Australia and then probably beyond, you know, the next couple of years, look to expand outside of that. Con Screenus, the uh, CEO for Foz Capital, MD as well. Thank you so much for joining me in today. You're a gentleman and scholar, good sir. I hope you enjoyed Thank you. that. Thanks and for having me. Welcome back. So that was the CEO of Foz Lighting, a company that certainly seems to have a bright future. I've got more. I've got more puns. I've got more puns. Trust me. So light bulb moment. What, what do we all think of that? <laughs> I love, I love, I knew this, this would have so many puns for you all. So I'm very glad. Thank you very much to Con for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's always good to hear someone like that. Again, a CEO, as we mentioned, week on week on week is very passionate about their own companies. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. And I don't know how you can be so passionate about lighting and stuff. I didn't know anything about lighting, <laughs> but it's one of those things you like. So what he does, obviously, is he's involved in the industrial lighting. So, you know, in big hangars and stuff like that, they always import lights to go up there and big airports you know, you've seen like i've been to some of the airports in dubai and yeah, very commercial uh, and they're just yeah the customizable and commercial industrial projects so this isn't the light bulbs you walk into ikea mm. to buy mm. these are very you know, specified to projects and and, I, and obviously what con said is that he's very niche market because they can actually do the lighting for things like the art galleries and stuff like that absolutely fantastic and uh i think there's a big push to be more locally acquired in a lot of ways yeah and no, i wasn't sure if i if you was mentioned there but they're only listed this week so they've mm. been only trading 
for five days. So congratulations to the entire company for that. I'm sure that would be a, quite an interesting, stressful time for them getting everything going, but I'm sure they're very happy uh, that they finally listed this week and obviously a company that we'll be keeping an eye on ourselves over the, the coming months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we'll have to see if we can get them back in a, in a couple of months from now <laughs> and see uh, what's happened to that share price. Exactly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's move on now to our final section of the show. So here we go. This is what investors are really looking for. They're really after to find out exactly what our panelists are looking at for the week to come. So, all right, guys, this is your time to shine. What are we looking at this week and why do you like it so much for the week to come? And I'm going to start off with the doctor of maths himself, Dr. Adam Tedekowski. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're looking at this week? Yeah, thanks for asking. So uh, my, my pick for this week is Credit Corp. So this is a company uh, in financial industry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You picked that last week and the yeah. week before. Well, I mean, it just hold on, hold on, hold on. You picked that the week before too. Yeah. Is this just one of those ones that you just keep picking because it keeps going down? Well, <laughs> it's a company that has been going up for quite a, some time. I mean, about the month. So time. hold on, you picked it three weeks ago and it's gone up. Yeah. And you picked it last week and it's gone up. I mean, and you're going to go for a hat trick to see if you can pick it again this week and you think it's going to go up. I think there is room for growth upwards. Yeah. I mean, there. I mean, if you look at the financials, the company has keeps require, acquiring other companies. The revenue is really nice, pre-covered, and earnings as well. And even in in during the pandemic, you can see that they are really nicely recovering after that. And I mean, is their broker calls are positive. And I mean, if you look at the technicals, yeah. So there has been a slowdown over the past week, uh, but there is there is room to growth. If if you'd invested money into let's say invest a hundred thousand into the stock when you first mentioned it was three weeks ago, what sort of a percentage gain would we be at, Caroline? Are you aware? I think it would be five to six. Five six percent. Five to six percent. Yeah, no, it's definitely been travelling with an, an upward channel. I've been watching it since you first mentioned it, and it's looked very attractive. It did bounce off those two hundred day moving averages, and that's the reason you first bought it. And it has found that as a significant level of support before travelling higher. Not too sure percentage wise, but it does still have a I gap. I think it's to about six percent. Uh, it does still have a gap to close between its, its high. Pre previous highs. So again, as you said, there is room to growth, not only the business itself, but on a chart, it does seem to have momentum. So as long as you're watching it very closely, Adam, throughout the week and you issue your sell order. But again, I, I like it as well. Yeah. Hey, listen, if it's going to keep going up, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to bring that again and over and over again. If it keeps going up, you can bring it next week as well. All credit to you. All credit well, to I'm, you. I'm cautiously optimistic. Fantastic. No one got it. All credit. Oh. <laughs> oh, I got that one. All credit oh, to you. No credit. That was actually very good. Yeah. Maybe you should have my job. Let's <laughs> go over to uh, let's go to someone who is a bit of a mystic when it comes to this. Let's go to the Caroline Wong. Wonderful with her charts and always with her opportunities. What are you looking at this week and why do you like it? Looking at seven group holdings, sticker code SVW. So this one is an ASX 200 company, diversified um, operating and investment group. And coincidentally, it owns seven different businesses. So Coats Hire, West Track, Elliott Skies, um, Boro, Beach Energy, Seven Group Energy, Seven Group Holdings Energy as well as Seven West Media. Does it seven. own Caterpillar? No, it doesn't. No, no longer. No, no longer, but it no. did own Caterpillar. Yeah, correct. Um, so macroeconomically speaking, I think Seven Group stands to benefit because all these uh, businesses it's exposed to, they're all beneficiaries of um, a rebound in economic activity. So Because borrows in construction and housing. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, beach energy is obviously in oil. Yep. Okay, seven media is when businesses do well, they've got more um expenses. Advertising, yeah. Yeah. 
very financially sound company. Broker calls even more so interesting. It's been around for a long time. It's a company's yeah. been around for a long time. Yeah. Uh, so Credit Suisse, UBS, Ortman, and Macquarie they all gave at least twenty five percent upside. So that's very very strong. If you look at the technicals, very interesting as well. Um, established a very nice support level at nineteen dollars since rebounded, um, positive stochastic and MACD. In the last past six days, you can see that it's all consecutive green candlesticks. So that's very strong and don't have to worry if um, you're buying it at a very high price. It still has 13% for it, which is all time high. Very good. Love that one too. Mr. Mystic, Louis Mossman. Yes, of course. What have you got? What are you looking at this week? And why do you like it for the week? I'm finishing off on a high note. Yes, of course. So this week, I brought it again uh, about a month ago, a bit longer. And that's Magellan Financial Group. I don't think we need to go over what they do. They're obviously a global fund manager. They have a range of listed uh, funds that they run. They've actually recently listed a new product, which is for a passive income. So for retirees. Uh, so that was listed about two weeks ago. So of course, they continually try to expand their product offering. They're not a fund that's just going to be stuck in the mud with what they do already. And obviously, they've been a top performer over the last 10 to 15 years as well. 50% down from their all-time highs, which was pre-COVID, right? Exactly, exactly right. They've been heavily hit, uh, obviously, by the over the last 12 months. And as well, they've been sustaining a downtrend below their 200-day moving averages. So if we do bring up a chart of it, we can see that they are mean reverting back up to those 200-day moving averages. And now they're consolidating just below. A lot of the time we do see this, we see that final surge of momentum through those moving averages. So it's one that you might have to look at a little bit closer but it currently does look like it has the momentum. And to back that up, Morgan's also have an ad rating on the company with 16% upside uh, for those exact reasons. It's well down from its highs, so share price is suppressed, and it does have significant momentum, buoyed by macroeconomic conditions and market conditions in Probably general. very logical when you think about it. They draw their revenue from their performance for their fund, their admin fees for their fund, more people join their fund, better performance. Then they, of course, generate more revenue. And with the US markets on all-time highs and exactly. with our markets being on all-time highs, you could see quite logically why that would be a good pick. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for tuning in to us all from at home. This has been the Koshek Show, and my name has been Will Brownlee.